This episode of Game Dev Hideout, Chris and I chat with Silas about his game Metroplex Zero. Metroplex Zero is a turn-based card battler that takes place in a dystopian future. Silas's love for sci-fi and game development really stand out. If you love learning about lore in video games, this is the game for you. I wasn't super familiar with the game before we spoke with Silas, but now it's near the top of my list. We hope you enjoy this interview. Hello, today we are joined with Silas of Enigma Dragons. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I'm excited to be here with you guys and talking about uh, RPGs and RPG design and our, our game Metroplex Zero. This is, this is a huge uh, privilege. So Metroplex Zero is not your standard RPG fare, is what I was gathering. It seems like you've got a couple different modifiers and identifiers on that. So it's a deck building, roguelite but it's also turn-based strategy in a party style game. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So it's, it's a card battle RPG. Um, it really combines those two things. I'm a longtime card game player. I grew up with playing things like a world of Warcraft trading card game and magic, the gathering and Android Netrunner. And I was, I sort of had this idea of like, what happens if you want to have a single player card gaming experience where you fuse that role-playing experience, uh, feeling where you get to construct a party with an interesting synergies and also combine that with card battle gameplay. Uh, and that was sort of the inspiration for this. So it's, it's fun. Like it's a, it's very different than a lot of games out there because of that unique fusion. So you've already gotten into something I had questions about reading, uh, reading your steam page here. Yeah. So you, you, you get multiple characters, but it's also a deck builder. So how do the character, how are the characters unique? when the cards are kind of more the determiner thing? Yes, that's a fantastic question. So for we wanted the heroes to have a really uh, impact. They, they have strong identities um, and an impactful element on the team. So one thing is every character's got what we call a basic card. This is a unique mechanic that I don't think I've ever seen in a game before. But basically, every card's got two sides. You've got your normal side, but since you're you uh, let's suppose you got two characters you've got fl13 and victoria in your party so you've got three victoria cards three fl13 cards and uh, fl13's got a basic ability that does fire damage to all the enemies so you could play one of his normal cards the normal side or you can say i don't really want to play that right now i'm going to flip this over and just do fire damage to everybody and if you got three cards, you could do that three times instead of whatever the normal card is. So the fun thing about this basic concept is every hero's got something that nobody else in the game can do anything like. And if you have any of their cards drawn, you can do that thing. So that that right there, like, sets a very different thing. You've got a different level up tree for every character. Uh, and you've got a different set of cards they can play with. We... Are you guys familiar? Have you played a lot of uh, physical card games like Magic the Gathering? Um, I've played uh, the Fire Emblem card game. I have played a little bit of the uh, Warcraft one. Okay, so yeah. That that I resonated with a little bit. Um, I played Yu-Gi-Oh! growing up. That was that was kind of my jam. Nice. Yeah, so I had one... a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! experience as well. That's cool. 
Does that so count? <laughs> it it does. Uh, that's actually one I'm missing out on. I I had had a lot of friends who played Yu-Gi-Oh, but I actually never got into that because I went so deep into World of Warcraft trading card game. So my knowledge on that one is a little uh, a little less. So um, yeah, that's the thing is every hero brings their own like complete card set that they get to bring in. They have two key archetypes. So FL13, like he's got Fire and Arcana, uh, which nobody else has that combination of cards that you can put in your deck. Nobody else has his basic. And then he's got his own stat line uh, and a different growth curve than everybody else. So it's heavily inspired by like JRPGs, even, even Fire Emblem. Uh, we took our level up screen sort of inspired by Fire Emblem Awakening. We got the little um, you gain like a couple HP and a new, like another attack point, some levels, and you get the little ding, 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 and the how many plus stat you got for that stat, as well as you get to pick a new power for your character or a new augment. Um, so it's very much RPG inspired. Like we care about those stats, that stat growth as like your attack gets stronger. If you've got an attack card, it gets stronger. So it's the same card, but since your stats higher, it does more and more damage over the game that prevents some cards from just being straight up outclassed by other cards. Does that kind of answer your question of like how, how they like the heroes are, are unique and like how that kind of people would pick what kind of party they want? Uh, I think so. And something else I always like to follow up with is, uh, are all the characters presented to you or are there secret ones you got to go find or things like that? That's a fantastic question. Um, we're still figuring out how we want to have them unlocked because for, for two reasons. Number one, we want to make sure players have enough of a, a progression set where they're like, I want to achieve this goal next in the game. And the second bit is we've got some high complexity characters that if you give a new player that hero, they're going to have a hard time. Like the character is perhaps strong enough, but maybe harder to, to grasp, like how you want to play this character. So we're probably going to figure out like which ones we want to lock. On the current adventure, you get two heroes and you get to pick from three. So you're presented with three options. You pick that for your leader and then you get another option. You pick a second hero from three. So any given run, you won't see all the characters as a possibility, but once you have them all unlocked, they all could appear. And so that kind of gives you some room that combinatorials, like each party that you build plays differently. You're going to play the characters a little differently based on who their partners are on that team. So with the the roguelike elements, like is there like a like a wide variety of cards available that you can kind of plug and play? Is that where the rogue comes in? That's a fantastic question. So we've got a lot of elements. Uh, have you guys played Slay the Spire? No, but one of my good friends uh, is obsessed with it, so I have heard endless uh, endless about it. <laughs> yeah. So there's uh, several elements that make this roguelike. One of the first bits is you're playing short adventures that have permadeath. So you queue up your adventure, you're starting from scratch. This is not a roguelite. In a roguelite, you get the sense of meta progression. And there's some good things about that, but there's also some negatives. Some of the things I didn't like about roguelite progression is it kind of trivializes, you can get powerful enough that you can trivialize uh, some of the earlier runs, like you, sometimes you're not really intended to be able to win until you have a certain progression level. And that's sort of a crutch. Like as your character gets more permanent upgrades, the game gets easier and easier 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they solve that sometimes by throwing harder challenges, but I wanted the sort of the core experience to be fair. Like you should be capable of winning your first run. If you play well, if you get the game, if you're in that thinking space. So we have permadeath, uh, we've got a lot of RNG. So we're in this game, we're big on the pick three and we experimented with several different variants, giving people more choices, giving people fewer choices. Um, we had a, one variant where we called it hypercapitalism mode, where we didn't give you any cards or upgrades. We gave you a ton of money and a ton of shops, and they were all corporation branded shops. And it was really fun, but it was too complex for our players. They were too picky about what they bought and they'd shoot themselves in the foot. They're like, I'm saving my money for later. And then they get out power curved by the enemy. So we're like, oh, well, this didn't have the exact effect I wanted because they're not buying anything when these cards would have been really good for them, but they're saving up for that super epic and hoping it'll show up. Um, so we, we tweaked that a few times, but that, yeah. That the, still sounds like a great DLC down the line, like just <laughs> yes. a little like, thing to mix things up. Oh man, yes. I That was one of my favorite patches was hypercapitalism mode. Be, partially it's because I'm the designer, so I'd played a lot of hours. And when I was in that mode, I was loving it because I could exactly pick exactly what I buy and when. Um, and I sort of know the meta progression of like, I should be buying this common. It's good for me, even though it's a common. Um, Cause there's also that rarity concept that people feel like I should always be getting a higher rarity thing. Well, not necessarily. You could buy maybe six commons for the price of that one Epic and it might have more impact on your consistency and power than that Epic, even though the Epic has a better individual effect than those commons perhaps. It's kind of um, so, me wonder, um, do you like have like a smirk on your face when you watch people play this <laughs> since you have like a good idea of how the decks and stuff work that do you just like cringe when you see people like making like decisions that you know won't quite go the right way? That's a great question. So not a smirk. Uh, I think as a game designer, like my key goal is I want to put players in a really fun play space where they get to do things they can't do in any of their game. Like my goal is I want people to understand the rules of the game and be having fun with that. And what we tried to create here was a big nonlinear space. Uh, one of the things you asked is, are there a lot of cards? And the answer is yes. I think we've got 30 unique, uh, 30 cards per character that, that you can get in your deck. And we've got nine heroes right now, and we're just in alpha. We're probably going to get some more in there. So that alone, that's like 300 cards that you're playing with. Um, it's, it's pretty massive. So it's a big pool, and that creates a lot of uh, possibility space. Where So one fun thing is I wanted to create a, a world where it's big enough that there's like a lot of different play styles that will work. I wanted to make it so the cards will empower things that maybe I'm not capable of playing. Maybe I like to be a mage and just burn stuff or be a blade master and just, just do a lot of damage. Um, I have that play style, but I also know there's players who want to do like combo-y things. They want to draw a lot of cards or they want to shield themselves a lot uh, or they want to like hide and then bust out with a ton of one hit damage. So we created a, a set of cards that there's a ton of possibilities and it's sort of up to the player to see into that world of ideally infinite possibilities is what's not actually infinite, but we're trying to create a big mental space. And I think that each player is going to come into it and they're going to see the cards a different way than somebody else. And because of that, if they get good, they will actually successfully play a different deck style than another good player. That's, that's sort of my big vision. So cringe and no, like I don't cringe when I see people, um, 
like doing weird plays because I know part of it is they're figuring out the world. And part of it is they're probably actually thinking about their battles differently than I am. And ideally I want there to be possibilities that I, as a designer, can't see that other people see and they unlock and like, then win that way. We had a play test two weeks ago and a couple of the really skilled players, they posted screenshots of um, how powerful two of the cards got. One of them, showed themselves with a card that you have as a starter dealing 4,364 damage. And these are like against 200 HP, you know, 300 HP enemies. So somehow they created this deck where they were capable of dealing that much damage in one card play because of the nonlinearities that they discovered. And they found a really cool like way they played them. They're like, the enemies aren't going to hurt me. I'm going to keep getting more powerful. And then eventually I'll kill them. And I like that that's possible because I've never personally created a deck that got me to number 4,000. Like I get 100, 200, but they did. And I was like, that's what I'm looking for. I want to make a space that's that's bigger than I can even explore. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. Like I want players to, like this is their thing where they see these cards and they get excited. They, they read one card and they're like, I want to build a whole deck around this. I want to build a whole team around this card or this idea. And that's why, like, I want a big variety of what the cards do. I don't just want them to be deal five damage, deal 10 damage. Now, you need some basic bread and butter. But what excites me is the really unique stuff that people see something in and they get inspired by. And then they play a crazy strategy. That's awesome. I love that. Um, and you, you said you're the designer. Um, I think that might be a good segue into... Uh, what else do you do and who is it a I know you said your brother is it a two-man team or is it more but how many how many are we looking at yeah so it's a two-man core team I'm the lead designer uh, but my brother's done a lot of design work like he's also deep in that card space we used to play tournament cards competitively together Um, and he's played a ton of video games and actually he quit his corporate job for a year to try to become a board game designer and yeah, it it didn't quite work out because he he built a he built several prototypes and his best game it didn't quite come together the way he hoped. So then he went back into the corporate world. But he's got that passion for making games and for depth. Um, so that we're we're the core of Enigma Dragons. Um, yeah, we sort of even fused that name together. We're both like pick a word, and I was like Enigma, and he's like Dragons. I'm like, there's our studio name. Um, but we work with a a whole whole handful of other collaborators, like skilled artists. Uh, I've got an amazing composer and sound designer. Um, we've got fellow doing some fantastic work marketing the game. So we, we bring in different people for different stuff, especially art. I think art is our biggest weakness. Um, that's one of the things even about our game, like our game is not going to look as pretty as some of the other games out there because we don't have a core lead artist on our team and doing really good art. Uh, if you don't have an in-house person is very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But gameplay wise, I think we're too confident or, or come across as arrogant, but I hope that the gameplay depth is what we have that a lot of games won't have. Like that's, that's at least what we're aiming for is we want to have a lot of depth and that's going to be the key selling point. If you want to have that cerebral card gameplay, that's where Metroplex zero is aimed. You, if you like cards, you like RPGs, this is going to be your thing. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about sounding arrogant. If you don't think your game is good, who who how is anybody else supposed to? Like, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm super pumped about it, but I've also noticed a couple times there's some people you'll rub them the wrong way when you um put on that marketing hat and be like, this game's the best, you should buy it now. <laughs> like there's an element we have to think that, but there's also an element we have to like recognize there's other amazing games out there um that are fantastic and like you know, a lot of those we should be buying and playing too. Yeah, but nobody's ever successfully marketed a game on it's okay, I guess. Well, yeah, <laughs> our game is definitely more than okay. I have very good news on that. It so looks I, really, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say um, on Steam, I see that's the only one you've got, I think. But on your website, you actually have quite a few games uh, under your belt or quite a few games linked here. Do you want to tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So we sort of started game development um, in earnest with game jams. We built up some skills and built a lot of game jam games. We did some for 48 hours, 72 hours, week long, couple month long game jams. So uh, is is Bed Dead Redemption one of those? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that one is. Uh, that one was a, a attempt we had at a, a multiplayer asymmetrical card game where you've got this kind of campy cowboy and you've got these uh, sentient kitchen appliances. And we built that as a multiplayer game. That was a pretty wild idea and a lot of fun to make. It looks like a lot of fun. And uh, I do notice a little bit of a theme here other than the cowboy one. Um, a lot of your stuff ends up being this kind of sci-fi setting. You've got like black market crackdown, zero footprint society, uh, gnosis disparatus, Mm -hmm. All of these seem kind of in the same theme as uh, the game we're talking about today. Um, is that like a, a kind of setting you're really passionate about? Absolutely. So I've, one of my two favorite games of all time is Deus Ex. Uh, I played that a lot of years ago and it, it rocked my world. I loved not only the, the gameplay, but also the setting. Like they, it had a deep, compelling story that it captured that dystopian feel you're like what would a world like this be where there's manufactured crises and where the government is actually the one causing the problems and where you've got these shadowy power figures like shaping the world um it pulled me in and i was like wow like i've never felt a world that was so immersive before and i think i think Part of it was it's relatable because it's semi-modern. Uh, it's a fantasy world can pull you in, but you don't connect with it quite the same emotionally as you do in a world that's eerily similar to your own. And I think that's kind of what got made me fall in love with the cyberpunk uh, setting is a lot of that's kind of born in reality and it connects with our real life. Um, we even have maybe not quite mega corporations, but we've got very large corporations in our world. And people are wondering like, you know, what's the social impact of these corporations? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, so I've, I felt, felt that was a really fun gameplay setting because there's so much room to play with in several dimensions. You can have interesting science fiction inventions. Uh, you can have, you know, spiritual power and force. They do that a lot in, um, why am I blanking? Shadowrun, Shadowrun and Shadowrun Returns. Like they have that cyberpunk setting, but they've got magic as well as technology. And that adds an extra layer to it. I think it was Arthur Clarke who said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And it's a, true a that great even- quote. Great quote. Yes. 
Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, do we need to preclude uh, magic like in Star Trek? They're like, there's no magic. It's pure science. It's hard science. But you've got Star Wars, which they do have technology, but they've also got the force. And that kind of creates this, uh, this like Trinity concept of you can, you know, you've got the social aspects, you've got the technological aspects, and you've got the spiritual power. And I'm like, this is an interesting world. And Shadowrun Returns did that. And so I was thinking, like, why, why can't we do something like that? Because it's such a big play space that can connect with more people. Um, and then I also, one of the things, Noah, he's a bit of a writer. And we've played a bunch with, in a bunch of games, this moral ambiguity of how do you present people with really interesting moral tensions that don't comment on their own life directly because that that's too close to home, but that look at elements in the world that are less explored we built this one, Modia Jet Grand Resort. It's a murder mystery set in this uh, this little space hotel, and that one's interesting. Uh, one of the it's a detective game, so it is a conventional mystery where you can find these clues, but it's got two unique elements. Number one, you can have these theories around the different key questions, and the game will never tell you whether you're right or wrong. You could just have that theory and that theory impacts like how the game will eventually wrap up and also what you could ask people about. Like if you think this person might've done this murder, you can then ask them new questions. If you think that there was something suspicious about when the door was opened to a garbage chute, then if you've got a theory about that, you can ask those questions. But at the end, there's a, it's a very nonlinear game because after you've decided and you've solved the mystery, you've filed your report, the game tells you what happens. It tells you what the results of the report you filed were. And there's, you might, in fact, in this one, you can discover several potential crimes that happened, more than just one, and you can include or not include them in your report. And there might be reasons why. And there's a bit of a role-playing element. Conceptually, you could even picture yourself as a detective. Maybe you're working for one of these corps, and you very intentionally skew your report just to create profit. Uh, and the game doesn't tell you that's right or wrong. It just tells you what happens if you decide to file that report. So I, love I loved that. that because you've got that depth and that nonlinearity where you let the player kind of make of it what they will and step into that world space. And it's like there is a correct solution. Um, in fact, I think people have found two technically correct solutions, which I found surprising, but made sense. Um, but then there's a lot of other ways you can play it where you could be like mostly right but not quite. And the game will just roll with you. So that was one thing we wanted to bring into here is we've dabbled with like, what is, what is this near science, this world where there's interesting moral choices and complexities that even in our world, we haven't solved. And how do you let people interact with them in a playful way that doesn't feel personal? And we've done that a bit with this one. Uh, people are enjoying, we've got a story about a medical corporation that's harvesting people's organs, but they're very specific about who and why and you get to interact with that and make your own decisions around, I think they should or shouldn't be doing this. And here's the genuine trade-offs they're trying to solve for in their society. So I, I had to ask, your game is set in the year 2280. Yes. Is this what you think that year will look like? Or Ooh. did you just kind of pick it out of, out of a hat? Oh, man. It wasn't picked out of a hat. I don't think it's statistically likely given that there's so many different futures we could see in 2282. Um, but in some ways, yes, like we don't have 
things that are so insanely radical that they wouldn't conceptually be possible at the rate that technology and society are changing. Um, so that's that's my answer. I think it's there's elements that are a very strong possibility, like we're seeing in Metroplex Zero, there's eight big megacorps that kind of are like there's no government and just eight megacorps, and those megacorps all create their own little sub-societies in that society. And I could see that being a thing. Like we've got Amazon and their massive like impact on the world. Like they're big. They've got all these warehouses. They hire all these people. Would it be that much of a stretch for them to provide housing for their own employees? Maybe not. I've heard that they're uh, that that's being worked on. And I, I saw the other day, Disney is working on a small town that they're going to build as well. That's going to be a whole little town. And I'm like, Oh, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's kind of the interesting thing is there's those experiences aren't quite here for us, but they're on the fringe. Like we read things that are close to these in the news. And this raises interesting thoughts. Like, would you like to live in a place that was sponsored by your company? How would you feel about that? How would you feel about that in a world where there's a lot of layoffs? How would you feel about that in a world where people record everything you say and you know, everything you do on your, all your devices and have knowledge of all your data, like all these things are interesting. If you lose your job today, you lose your health insurance in America. In the future, what if you lost your house uh, because you got laid off? That would be interesting. Um, I don't know if it'd be good or bad, but it would be interesting. <laughs> uh, we, we try to steer away from politics on the show, but I'm going to say, I really hope we're not willing or talking something into existence now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did want to get in one more uh, quick question, though, for your big uh, Enigma Dragons fans. Um, for the people that have followed you, your career across all these smaller Game Jam games and stuff, are you going to have any references or Easter eggs uh, pointing back to some of those other games? That's a great question. Um, so I think there we sort of did arrive at there's sort of some games that are kind of in this one universe. Man, you're really making me think on this one. So there's a con there's a continuity. It's not exact, but yes, like several of our cyberpunk games, they they do reference each other. They are sometimes set in this, like I think this one is specifically more specifically in the same set as Zero Footprint Society, which was a little tactics game we made. Uh, we actually started with some of the heroes from that. We're like, what if we put them in this game? I think the heroes that we had then haven't actually made the final cut in this one. But yes, like there's there's a strong connection uh, in Zero Footprint Society. That one had the mega corporation Xantocorp, and we have Xantocorp straight up in this game. So there's a continuity there, and obviously being the same creators creating the same cyberpunk world, I think a lot of people will see similarities and references. And I also wouldn't say it's a stretch. We don't really go into the world as much, but our other game on Steam, uh, Bitvault, it's a cyberpunk hacking game. And so that one like definitely fits in the same universe and space. So, so I, th we're I think people who are who are following our are, and playing a bunch of games will see a lot they connect with and like, oh, I get that. I see this. Hey. 
Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume that we could do better. Even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes. Our library of previous episodes. Our precious library, Jim. <laughs> our library of precious episodes. <laughs> You're a pirate Smeagol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad. Hey there, podcast listeners. I am David. And I'm Kate. And together we host a podcast that you might be interested in if you like The Legend of Zelda. There are lots of awesome podcasts out there and a lot of awesome Zelda podcasts out there. (laughs) That's right, Kate. And we are another one of them. In fact, that is the name of our show, Another Zelda Podcast. And in our show in particular, we talk about some of our favorite dungeons, characters, boss battles. We do a couple top ten lists here and there. We have some deep dive episodes and we even pepper in a couple quiz episodes. We talk about our own experiences, we do some review episodes, talk about our challenges, our struggles, and our victories. That's right. If it has to do with The Legend of Zelda, we talk about it. You can check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a lot of the other podcast services that are out there. And you can also check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. All right. We will see you there. Okay, bye. When you're talking about stuff that you're passionate about, it's hard not to uh, have lots of stories. And when you've been doing it for a long time, you got a lot of tales from the trenches, too. Oh, yeah. So to jump back into it, um, one of your games I see here, Mythic Garden. Did you yeah. just need did you just need a break from the whole sci-fi thing for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> so what we do for uh we have an interesting approach. Have you guys heard of LD Jam? No. So it's one of the biggest game jams. They right now run them three times a year, and there's like maybe 10,000, 20,000 creators will come and for a three-day weekend build oh something. My gosh. So what we do for game jams is we'll assemble a team. It'll be my usually my brother and I, but then we'll get uh four to like eight other people from around the world. Like, and then we'll figure out with the team. The team will democratically decide what they want to create. So we're just two voices out of ideally, you know, 12, 13, 14. And it's fun. In the first hour of the game jam, the whole team will discuss their ideas about what what they feel inspired by, by the game jam's theme. And then we'll take all those, talk through them as a team, and then vote on them. And whatever has the most votes, that's what we make. So it kind of factors in uh, people's styles. If there's artists who are like, I want to do a 3D game or a 2D game, or I want to do something light and cheery, or I I want something dark and like pixel graphic-y, like those all get factored in. Um, So we're not the, the lead, like choose everything from on high. And that means that every jam game that we make is a bit of a surprise to us like we don't know what kind of genre we'll even be in or what visual style and that gives us room to kind of play like it's every time it's a totally 
Um, it's a truly a product of the team and not just one guiding force mind. And that means that the team really feels ownership around whatever they build. So Mythic Garden was really fun. We had a first, first time game designer, uh, actually two first time game designers who were co-designing the gameplay rules. And we had a first time uh, game dev coder. He's a corporate programmer, but this was his first time doing a game jam. And so it was really intriguing. Like it was the programmer's idea we went with of what if you have to water things and it gets pretty intense. And then the game designers, they created so much content. We only have like 12 plants in the game, but they had this Excel sheet with like 50 groundbreaking unique plants that did even the ones in the game. We've got plants that teleport, uh, plants that will steal water from other oh plants, <laughs> plants that will are on fire and light other plants on fire. Uh, so it was super inventive. And there was like 40 other unique plants that were brilliant that didn't make it in the game because we're like, well, we only got 72 hours. We can't get the art for that. And this is hard to program, but we got this one. So it's it so stressful in real life. You know, I, I've got a plant that's like, you have to water it twice a week. And I'm like, not so much. <laughs> I think Mythic Garden is probably the most frantic uh, gardening game you'll ever play. It's you can beat the game in five minutes, but you can also lose in two. <laughs> wow. It's fun. Um, that, it's that's a really a, unique game. I meant to ask about that too for Metroplex Zero. Uh, you said that it's a game that's designed to be played kind of over and over again. What is one run? What what length does one run uh, kind of take you? Uh, for time? Like how long yeah. does it take you? Mm -hmm. I think right now we've clocked it. The fast players can do it in like 50 minutes. That's about the fastest you can go. And then it takes up to two hours if you're doing a lot more deliberate thinking or it's you're trying to uh, process new cards and new heroes. So it's in that range. Like it's a little longer than some roguelikes, but it's it's still a lot shorter than, um, it's way shorter than almost anything that's more long form. And our goal is we want to have different adventures and different modes that all have about that play length. There might be a couple that'll be a little faster. Uh, so you'll fight in our current run, you'll fight 17 battles. And yeah, it's about 75 minutes on average uh, for a run. I see. Um, and something I'm really passionate about, uh, I don't know if you've listened to the show before, I'm really passionate, passionate about uh, game monetization. I think that's just yes. really fascinating. So um, what are you kind of envisioning if you uh, want to talk about that? If you don't want to talk about that yet, that's totally fine. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And I think it it sort of reflects where we're at in the industry because the industry is doing some really wild stuff monetization wise. Like we just saw Diablo Immortals and that's... Uh, oh, you know, I was watching that. Oh, yeah. So I for, had... For uh, people uh, unfamiliar, I'll, I'll just throw out a stat real quick that I was reading about. Um, There's one streamer that decided he was going to basically buy microtransactions until he got the rarest uh, kind of gem. And his, I think that's legendary rarity in that game. And uh, his original goal, his initial goal was he wanted a full kit of them, which is like six. I think he said he spent 15,000 or $16,000 dollars. Um, and that earned him a single gem. Um, so he abandoned the idea of getting six. Um, I don't know how many thousands of dollars in it became about the principle of the thing. Um, but once he uh, finally got that gym, he wasted it immediately and then uninstalled the game and was like, this is, this is where we are. I just had to know. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it's it's insane. So I guess I think there's that that modern modernization model of gaming is primarily a way to extract money from players. Uh, I think that's the megacorp like paradigm, and I don't I don't really like that because I for me being game designer is about creating fun. I'm not trying to extract resources from people. I'm trying to create tons of fun for the price of you know two, three, four coffees. I want you to have hours and hours of fun. I want this to be way better value than going and watching a movie. Um, so that's that's my vision. Like right now, we're going to launch the first version just as a premium one fee. And maybe later we'll create, if this is wildly successful, we'll add some new adventures or heroes as an add-on pack. But my vision is I want to have way more hours. I want you to spend less than a dollar an hour for your entertainment. Like if you pay 20 bucks for the game, I want you to have at least 20 hours of fun with it. Uh, and that, that replayability is our vision. Like, yeah, we want people to have a good time and be playing something that's unlike anything else they've played and that tests their brain in totally new ways. Um, I want them to be so psyched about it. They, they telling their friends about this sick build they had over the weekend. Like that's, that's the game we're trying to make. Yeah, that's that sounds good to me. And I think that's a definitely a good price point is, you know, about a dollar an hour or, or less. That's always uh, nobody can complain about that, I feel like. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as like story goes, you said your brother does a lot of the writing? Currently, yeah. Uh we're also looking at um I read cyberpunk fiction too, and there's fantastic cyberpunk author Anna. Masakat, she's written Beyond Blue Eyes series. And she actually wrote a short story in our universe earlier this year, which is available on Patreon. But we're in talks with her about maybe having her write one of the adventures in our game. And that could that could totally be a thing. I'd be super pumped to have somebody of her caliber come in and write a story in our universe uh, that's playable. The ability for that crossover is really cool too. Totally. Absolutely. Actually, her background, before she got into book writing, she was in a theater and a film. That was her background. And so that kind of script writing like was native to her. And then she turned into a, a book author. But she's like, I've been itching to get back into more like script writing. And I've never done a game, but I want to. I'm like, this sounds amazing. Let's, let's try to make it happen. <laughs> so part of the challenge is we needed to really lock in like what was the script style in our game and what story type did we want to go for? Uh, and now we've, we've really got that nailed down and it feels really good. And then my brother, he's got a, a very fun style where he's uh, playful and he creates really colorful characters, really colorful. Um, they, yeah, you don't confuse his writing for anybody else's. And uh, so this means just very over the top, like mannerisms and, and things. So it's super fun. It's very playful. It's, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It sometimes even is fourth wall breaking in that the, the game, it's got a serious storyline, but it doesn't take itself like with this heavy darkness to it. You still get the sense that like, we're playing a game. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to, as a rebuttal to that, draw attention to your last bullet point on Steam though. Make life altering moral decisions in a gripping story. <laughs> so are you, other than just the cards <laughs> you're selecting, are you making some intense choices? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, you are. Uh, people's lives are affected. Life or death is affected by choices that you make in the game. Uh, you're interacting, you know, directly with some villains. And, and 
the choices that you make will actually like you can have a pretty significant impact on society for good or for bad. So yes, those moral choices have absolutely big repercussions. Awesome. I love it. And uh, with with the runtime of about two to three hours, that definitely is a good incentive to go back and try some other decisions. Absolutely. Yeah, you can both go back and try some different decisions. Or if you decided like I played through this adventure, I now just want to do card combat, you can skip the main story nodes and just do cards. So that's really fits both player types. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah. When you're on like a playthrough, does that feel like a complete story? Or does yes. that feel like a mission that combines into making a full full story right now it's a it's like an episode like a tv episode so gotcha. you play an adventure that's got its own little storyline and then you play a different adventure i'm sure that there will be some continuity between it all but each one you can go in and play one adventure and then leave a different adventure for a different day and that'll be a different little story gotcha so it's built in this like short story concept the same way as we have a few short stories like actually just written in our universe too so there's we in our world crafting we created a world that's so big that we're like trying to like find out what else we're almost discovering it now that we created the edges mm -hmm. of it we're like now that we have these mega corporations in this setting like what happens here and so it's fun to work with other creators who are able to see elements in that universe and bring them to life like artists showcasing us like this is what this looks like but like, whoa we didn't know it looks like that that's cool and then writers like this is a thing that happened. We're like, wow, you're right. And I love hoverboards. I want a hoverboard character in the game now. We don't have one yet, but after reading Anna's story, I want a hoverboard character who's like in battle, like hovering on a hoverboard. That seems amazing. It almost feels, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movie Moon. Ooh, by, no, um, I've heard of it, but Duncan I've Jones. not seen it. It's sort of a, it's a sci-fi sort of movie that's kind of lighter in tone about a guy stuck in a spacecraft i don't need to describe the whole movie to you <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to watch it yeah my, fa my favorite is a lot more normie uh i, I like blade runner <laughs> love it yeah blade runner is fantastic <laughs> most a lot of people know what blade runner is but i, I really love it anyway so, uh, and it definitely has those corporate themes going on oh yes it really does daniel what were you uh what are you gonna say Oh, I was just going to say, so how can people find you, support you? What's the best way for people to interact with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now we're in the big um, playtesting and marketing blitz phase. Right now we want as many people to hear about this game as possible and see if this is their kind of thing. We're not trying to, if this isn't your thing, like get you in here. But if this is and you don't know about it, we want you part of our community. So we're, there's two ways people can support. Number one is you could go and wishlist the game if this is the kind of thing you would be interested in or tell your friend about it if this is their kind of thing. If they're into card battlers, you should tell them about Metroplex Zero. Uh, but the second way is if and you want to get- Real quick, let me let me just say to, to make sure there's no confusion, if you want to wishlist the game, it is on Steam Metroplex Zero Sci-Fi Card Battler. Uh, and the developer and publisher are both Enigma Dragons. So you should be able to find it that way. Um, and is that on any other platforms yet? No. So Steam is going to be our initial launch platform. We did BitVault on uh, iOS and Android also. And I think we could do the same here, but it's always a little bit more work to port it. So we'll kind of decide based on the player base, which platforms it would make sense to go to. 
And if it goes bonkers, we'll end up on all the platforms. Uh, the second way we can use support, and I don't know when people will be listening to this podcast, but we're probably still going to be in deep active development for at least another year before we're like, this is, this is the 1.0. We're currently in alpha. Uh, and it's been a heck of an alpha, uh, very exciting feedback from people. And then after that, we'll have the beta. So one other way people can get involved is right now on our Steam page, you can sign up to be a play tester. And then you get to join our Discord. You'll get to play for a week uh, the game before it's released and give us your thoughts on like what you liked and didn't like. And the last play test we just had, we also had a competition for players and we had two Steam gift card giveaways. Uh, one required people to beat a specific boss and the other was they had to actually just fill out this playtest survey because that's what helps us. Like it's, it's our players who tell us like, where's the game clicking or not clicking and what are they loving? Because we're trying to put as much fun in this as possible. And we know what we think is fun, but we need to know what other people think is fun to get that in there. So if you want to join us in playtest and we're not at 1.0 yet, come Sign up, join our Discord server, and sign up as a play tester. We would absolutely love to have you be part of our community and help shape the development of the game. And you can find that Discord link on the Steam page, it says. Yes, that's exactly correct. Um, so another thing, and this is partially a question, partially a suggestion, is that uh, the way that I get into, I, I get into big stories and stuff that are... Uh, multi uh, multi format so definitely having books and stories and things i would be reading things when i'm not playing the game i love that because nice. i like getting really immersed in a story so um i definitely think you should have even if it's just on your website everything for the the whole universe all the games the short stories and stuff in order um and where we can find each of those because that would be a really good way to before the game comes out to to get into it and get excited for it yeah, that's that's a really fantastic suggestion. Um, you're right. We don't have all of those fully aggregated in one place. Yeah, the other bit, if you want to kind of follow along with our development efforts, right now, every two weeks, we post our devlog on Patreon. Uh, and the short stories are also available on there. But you're right. It'll be nice to centralize that on our website and specifically on metroplexzero.com. Yeah, and you can still have them, uh, you know, for for a cost or whatever you can charge for them. But it would just be good to have them all somewhere in order, that, so that if I read the first one and I'm like, "Ooh, this is good," then well, let's go ahead and get into that second one, maybe the third. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, if you like, I'll send you a copy of a, a short story afterwards by email. I'd love sure to have you guys read them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always interested in stuff like that. It sounds like a really cool game, honestly. Yeah, I'm. I'll. I'm on. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not even a card person, but I'm like, I, I think I'm sold. I, I think I need to play this. Nice. Yeah, I'd love to. Kind of even that from that RPG angle. Uh, if you do end up playing it, like I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, what's really clicking. Because there's, yeah, there's two. I mean, it is being a fusion that brings people who like RPGs and also people who like card games. And I'm curious for people who lean more strongly one way or the other, like what's clicking for them, or what do they feel is missing that they wish was in the game? Because as designer, um, things take work, but I do ultimately have the ability to wave my hand and make a thing happen. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, is there anything else you really want to get to before we wrap up? Uh, anything that you feel like we didn't hit that you just got to make sure the people know? No, this is just has been a ton of fun. Uh, thanks so much for hosting. I've just been having a blast. Like I feel like time flew by since we started this and 
I feel like I didn't even talk a ton about the, the other games in the space or, um, I don't know. I could go in a long time. I I'm loving riffing with you guys. Well, if, uh, the listeners want to, uh, to see, to hear more of this, we can definitely have you back. I would not mind at all. I've really enjoyed listening to you talk about game dev stuff and yeah. cyberpunk stuff. I mean, it's, it's fun. Thank you. Yeah. It's a fun play space. You're, I can tell you're passionate and I can, I can listen to passionate people talk for a long time. Same, same. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, we'll definitely be keeping tabs on this one. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Daniel, Chris. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to continue the conversation with us, you can find us on Twitter at the Turn by Turn Pod. We can also be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are sold. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts would mean the world. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.